welcome, 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 welcome to Pipelines through the Gram. It's another Wednesday. We are starting fresh. Um, so let me recap again for those who are viewing and do my five-minute briefing. Um, tell you guys about my week so far, where I'm at right now. Um, I'm in my last week of this medicine sabai rotation. Um, I have one more rotation left. Before, you know, I can say I've completed all my hours for medical school. Um, so I want to just share y'all share with y'all a little positive um, from today, this week. Um, just the true meaning of taking your best foot forward. You, I hear this all the time. And sometimes, you know, when you're taking your steps forward into something, you may not get that rewarding feeling that you want. And sometimes we all get discouraged. But, you know, on Monday... There's this orthopedic surgeon um, who I've always seen during my third year um, as a uh, uh, as a student, um, but I never had a chance to speak to him. Reason being is because you know I was slightly you know intimidated because the program is DO, and you know I'm just like okay. First of all, I'm international medical, and it's a DO program. Um, you know I didn't really feel comfortable at the time talking, but I saw him, the elevator. I spoke to him without any shielding or anything like that i was just able to conversate with him let him know where i'm at currently um and you know it was it was a great conversation i felt you know um encouraged the following day there's this other um physician orthopedic doc um that i work with um you know so i i, I ran into him i spoke to him same situation let him know my circumstance and stuff like that so today i'm about to go to lunch and I see the program director, the main head, Pancho, you know, in the department of orthopedics. And, you know, he's passing by. But I didn't say anything. Then I'm just like, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's too many coincidences. You know, these moments, these things happen. So I'm going to hawk this dude down and I'm going to have a conversation. He had a boot on. He's taking his time. I was like, you know, I, I hawked him down. I had, I spoke to him. Um, he started to, you know, listen in, you know, and, uh, from that moment, he gave me an email. Um, he told me about, you know, researching and things like that. Um, and and let me know that the, the, the program is going into merge this summer, you know. And so hopefully after the summer, um, they'll be accredited and they'll be allowing MDs to come into the program. Um, I live with a gratifying feeling today that as long as... You take your best foot forward in any circumstances, a positive is going to come out. And I just want to share that with y'all. So right now we're going to get to the program. I'm going to have Dr. Tosin. She's in her last year as a resident for OBGYN. And right after her, we have Dr. Abby Adeyeye, who's a first-year dentist in her residency. Um I put it, you know. Um, so all right, let's just start afresh again. Tell tell me tell us a little bit about yourself. Once again. Okay. Yeah. I cannot speak for this. Okay. So my name is Tulsi. I don't say Akonji. And I'm a final year resident in OBGYN. Um born in Nigeria, moved to England. And then did the rest of my education after the age of 12 in the United States. So, that's me. And then, so you were telling us earlier, so tell us why you chose medicine. Okay. I'm going to try without the headphones. All right. Okay. I think we're good. Just because it's helping. Mm-hmm. All right, well. Um, so why medicine? Always wanted to do medicine. Didn't want to do anything else. My dad a doctor and he did um, OBGYN residency and a gynecologist. But that did not make me go OBGYN. Um, but I always wanted to be a physician, and it wasn't until my third year of residency when I did my uh, clinical rotations that I just, um, but 
really being able to do surgery, fix people, um, and still have that continuity of care and being a point person for women was why I picked OBGYN. Wonderful, wonderful. So tell us um, about your educational uh, background. Okay. So I did, uh, I guess, nursery school in Nigeria. And then um, up until the age of 12, sorry, 8, I was in England. And then um, I spent the rest of the time in the United States. I did undergrad at Cornell University. And then I got married right after college and needed something to do that I was still interested in and um, wasn't a, um, going to medical school right away. So I started working on my master's in public health and then got accepted into medical school. Um, took a break between second and third year of medical school to finish the MPH and then went straight into residency after medical school. Wonderful, wonderful. And while you were, you know, taking these, uh, taking a, taking on a journey, what were some hardships that you faced? So some of the hardships were definitely just with exam taking in general. There are several um, key exams that I needed to take that I didn't do well on. Um, I took the MCAT three times. I took some of my boards multiple times. Um, so I think in those instances, I definitely felt a, a shock to my self-esteem and especially in medical school where you entered in with this class and then my classmates were progressing and I wasn't um, just figuring out how to keep myself motivated. Like, yes, I should be here. I'm intelligent enough to be here. Um, and then most recently with my step three exam, having to take that again. Um, and then the biggest hardship that I had was um, towards the end of, it was the last week of my intern year. My husband unfortunately passed away um, during that time. So just taking that separate journey, the exams, yes, it felt like my world was coming to an end, but I've never experienced something um, as devastating as just the sudden passing of my husband Um so just figuring that out and navigating life again. I, you know, I can only imagine, you know, when that happened to you, you know, how different, how difficult it was just to, you know, you know, get your mindset back into the game. You know, like just give us like what did you do that really, you know, gave, it gave you that encouragement and that motivation mm -hmm. to just keep going? Yeah, well. As I mentioned before, um, it was like 10 months of me just being blank-faced and going to work. And I don't even remember what I did. I don't remember how I felt or any events that happened. So I have a whole 10 months to a year where I don't remember anything. It was like PTSD. Um, but I think your question was about staying motivated. Um, so that because I had so much self, like, identity attached to medicine, that was what I was living for. That was probably one of the few things that was keeping me alive. Like, okay, I had my identity as a wife and then as a doctor. Um, so it was something that I needed to do to distract myself because I had nothing else to do. Um, so it kept me busy. Um, and then also my family, I'm very close with them. My parents, my sisters, my cousins. So for the first, I guess, half a year, like I always had somebody here to live with me and motivate me to visit me. Um, but then once I was able to stand on my own feet and started going back to church and developing my spiritual life back and, and started taking care of myself. Those things were motivating to me. Like um, this past weekend or two weekends ago, I ran a half marathon. So just setting incremental goals of things that I hadn't done before, those things kept me going. So, okay, what's the next thing? Not to burn myself out, but to say, 
I can do this. I can keep going. I can do things I've never done before. I never imagined being a widow at such an early age. And just now I'm my own cheerleader telling myself I can do this every day. Um, I enjoy going to work now. I used to hate it. (laughs) Seeing people delivering babies. um, And I had plans to have a family as well with my husband. So there was a, a lot of anger, but... I think just going through that healing process and now I'm able to be happy for other people. Um, Those are my motivators. And I look at my patients like they're my relatives as well. So that helps. You know, you said something that, you know, I don't know if people really, really caught that technique or, you know, something like you said something about setting these incremental goals, you know, something away from, you know, the main focus, you know, like it, it, it does something to the mind when you, you just mm-hmm. start to fulfill these little things. Like it's like checkpoints. It it, it, it adds you. It adds so much value. Um, and you know, I find myself having to switch my mind and doing doing those type of things as well. Especially when there's a blockade, and it, it lets you know that because this one way is not moving, does not mean other ways will not move. And as a human being, just by seeing life as a maze and trying to figure out. You know, that would really, really help get you um, get you back a path. And I've been watching you. I've seen you do your dieting and all these things. Uh-huh. And, you know, you, you, you're looking pretty good right now. You're doing very, very well. Thanks. Um, so what other things, what did you sacrifice for medicine? Mm. I think, I mean, you can probably relate, like, not being able to go away on weekends and having to study for exams, um, foregoing trips. Because medicine, like, once you get to the interviewing level, you have to save up that money. So it's like, okay, am I going to go on vacation with my friends and blow all this money, or am I going to save up so I can go to all the interviews? So even now, um, I recently decided I'm going to apply to fellowship for next year. So I'm going to save all my coins because I know it's going to be expensive with flights and hotels. So, um, yeah. What fellowship are you thinking about going into? Um, minimally invasive surgery. Okay. I love surgery. I see. I see. Nice, nice, nice. Best of luck, with, best of luck as you apply for that. Um, Thank you. So for the viewers who are viewing, what advice do you have? I know there's some that are interested in OBGYN or just interested in medicine in general. What advice do you have for them? Mm-hmm. So for those of you who are watching, I do have a mentorship program. And one of the questions or one of the key questions that I ask is the why. What is your purpose? What do you see yourself doing in the next five to ten years? The decision can never be, oh, I want to make a lot of money because you're just going to burn out and you're not going to make it. You have to figure out what you want to do with your life um, in terms of having impact. And kind of, you can't be selfish in this field at all. You're working these long hours. You're up all night. I'm on my, this is going to be my fourth weekend on call. Um, not seeing your family as often. So you have to decide, is this worth it to you? And you definitely need to have mentors who can vouch for you, encourage you. And I'm seeing all my mentees and they're going through stuff. They're going through life situations. You need somebody who can look at you as a whole picture, not necessarily, okay, this is your professor who sees you in class, but somebody who knows what you're going through in life. And mm-hmm. I can't stress enough how important it is to have big brothers and sisters Absolutely. out there, not just attendings, but people who can just give you those little tips. But if you just isolate yourself, you're not going to get that opportunity. And you think that, well, I'm not smart enough. I can't do this. And it's, it's not that somebody is smarter than you. It's just that they figured out how to play the game. Absolutely. So you definitely need mentors. You definitely need to just, enrich yourself start reading um not just medical textbooks but reading about life know what's going on in the world and um just try and enrich your mind more um think about the shows that you're watching 
Um, and then also medicine is not everything. It's not like come up with things that you can do outside of medicine. So you're not like me where like my whole life was wrapped in it. You need to have hobbies. You need to have to have things that spiritually lift you. Um, take care of yourself. Absolutely. Go to the gym. You should not be obese in medicine. <laughs> like you're trying to encourage your patients to be healthy. You can't be smoking. You can't be drinking. Like just take care of yourself. Like you're a beautiful person. Love yourself. And that way your patients can see that reflecting and they're motivated to change their lives as well. So it's not just about medicine. I think people get so focused and have tunnel vision, like, I got to do medicine. But there are so many ways to have a purpose without just focusing on medicine. Um, So definitely get a mentor. Definitely take care of yourself. um, And just keep yourself uplifted during that time. So we got a question for you by a viewer. He says... I'm a bachelor looking for a quality wife, Sister Tosi. Do you have any advice on how someone <laughs> so someone can can take you out? Sorry, I'm taken. <laughs> She's taken. She's taken. But there are a lot of good women out there. She said there's a lot of good women out there. Yeah. <laughs> Just gotta look and stop playing games. That's true. That's See true. you guys. That's stop true. playing games. That's true. Um, so, I mean, you kind of, yeah, you've kind of mentioned your hardships. Um, um, aside from, you know, the loss of your husband, what was your toughest period so far, especially while of residency? Like a toughest moment, like was there a moment? Yeah. Uh, I think that transition period from junior to senior and actually having someone run things by you before um, making decisions. Like you're actually telling somebody what to do and then delegating and trying to be as efficient as possible and then making sure that you teach somebody. You can't just be like, oh, do all the scut work for me. You have to actually build a good physician because that's what residency is about. So I think that transition of asking people what to do versus now so today we had a C-section, and it was a clinic patient. So I was the attending. I did the surgery with the junior, and then um, the attending was just in the corner watching. So at first, that's pretty intimidating and scary. But over time, like that's what residency is about, so that they can send you off into the world by yourself. So that's amazing. That's amazing. I'm sure you were a good senior resident. You know. Getting the, getting the younger ones in check, and pretty soon they'll have a, a solid template to do uh, to be mm-hmm. a senior resident. So there's a question. If you could go back in time, would you go down the med school route, and would you choose OBGYN again? Definitely, yes, med school. Um, I'm happy with what I'm doing. I think... I had to, so after my husband passed, I had to think about, okay, where do I want my life to go? And the answer was, I don't know, for like two years. I didn't know what I was doing. And that gets frustrating when people ask, okay, what do you want to do? And I've been saying, I don't know. Um, But now that I have joy again, and I love what I'm doing, I would definitely choose OBGYN again. Um... I think it's great, but I think now I'm leaning towards, okay, now what do my, I want my life to look like? I want more control over my life, so that's why I'm choosing a fellowship, and I absolutely love surgery, so I have found my niche, even though it took longer um, for me to decide. So another question, how did residency interviews take your multiple attempts at step exams? That's a good Good question. Um, so I was I was honest during my interview process. If they didn't ask about it, I didn't bring it up. Um, and then when they asked about it, I was honest. There were things that happened during those times. For example, 
before I took step two, my grandmother passed away two days before, and I missed it by a point. So I think any human being who has a heart can understand that one exam cannot determine the rest of your life. And I think just speaking with confidence and also having God's Holy Spirit on my life, it changes somebody's heart because I don't know why I'm here. I don't know how I got here. It's only because of the Holy Spirit um, giving me favor. Um, There's so many people who score better than me, but it just takes one person seeing something different about you, that passion, that energy. And I think that's, that's what got me in the door. It's absolutely not my score. So when we interview residents, I don't care about the score because we, we have a say in the interview process. I don't care what you got. I want to know who you are as a person. I ask about your family. I ask about what you like to do in your free time that doesn't involve, oh, I like reading. Okay. Um, but just finding out who you are as a person because I think that's what matters. Wonderful, wonderful. I like what you said. You know, directly was speaking to me as well. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm blessed to hear how blessed you were to be in a position, even with all the difficulties. You know, and somebody's definitely getting encouraged today. Um, another question, how did you choose what medical school to go to? I know somebody, oh, pause for a second. Question. I know somebody asked about fellowship. She's not in her fellowship just yet, but she mentioned minimal invasive, which she's applied for. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how did I choose what medical school to go to? So I applied broadly and I applied late which wasn't a good idea. So the applications open over the summer. And me being myself, I thought, oh, I'm not going to get in. So I actually applied in December, like right before the deadline. Had two interviews and got into both of them. So in retrospect, (laughs) I was like, what if I had applied on time? Um, Both places were, were excellent. Um, Harry Medical College and then another um, place. And it really boiled down to cost, actually, and also um, having an experience that I'd never had before. I grew up in predominantly white neighborhoods, went to predominantly white schools. So I chose Harry because I wanted that culture shock. I wanted to see all sprinkles of melanin around me of people who look like me doing great and on the same path as me. And those people that I became close with, they're, I'm still good friends with them. So I think I made the best choice because I'll never have that experience again now that I'm old. Um, I'm not going to see that many black people. And that's just what it is. But now I have this little network of people who look like me and understand the struggles of being a female, of being a black person, and just kind of acting when you go to work, like, and <laughs> not being suspicious, but it's like, <laughs> how can I make people comfortable? <laughs> Things like that. Like, yeah. they understand, and even here, um, I hang out with the black residents here and the things that we talk about, it's like, I don't even know if other races are talking about these things. Absolutely. And, they're not. and I, I'm the only black person in my department. So I have nobody to really talk to about these things. So it's just like, okay. <laughs> Another question. Black resident. <laughs> exactly. Another question, I rem- um, this, she said, I remember for your mentorship program that you asked what were some barriers to medicine. I'm interested in hearing what were some of the barriers you faced, if any. Mm, that's a good question. I think the biggest barrier was myself. And if you just heard the story of, oh, I don't think I should apply to medical school because I'm not good enough. Um, that was a barrier. In terms of racial barriers, so 
because I grew up in white neighborhoods and white schools, I think I'm just able to adapt. And I moved so many times that I'm just able to observe people first and then um, navigate things that way. And yeah, just adjust. Um, but there haven't been any like straightforward racial things. I don't think anyone would try that with me, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so my question is, aside from medicine, um, what else do you do? I know, oh, we, I know, see. I know. We've been able to appreciate you dancing from time to time. Uh, what else do you do? <laughs> um, let's see. Okay, so when I'm not on call, so I'm usually visiting um, my sister. She's nearby, or my family. I also. So what I do is I pick a show on Netflix and then just watch it from beginning to end. So right now. I'm watching Criminal Minds. There are 12 seasons, and I'm on season seven, and I've just been, it's like homework. I watch it every day. Um, also, I have a mentorship program that I started, and that's been taking up a lot of my time. Um, and that's basically, I just start to help people, because I just think there's a need, and maybe there's a specific niche, niche yeah, so you were saying about uh, about running. Oh, yeah. I run now or try to. And let's see. Watching Netflix and visiting family. I do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? I clean a lot, actually. Because when I'm off, I just want to make everything... Neat again. Mhm. That's I like, like organizing. That's yeah. Like, that's like therapy. Yeah. It Somebody said, uh, "How often do you take vacation?" Uh, so we each each program is different. Um, we are allotted four weeks of vacation, but you can only take two within a six month period. Mhm. And you cannot do them back to back. Oh, really? And then somebody else asks, how often are you on call doing residency, and does it decrease or increase after residence? Let's see. I'm not sure if the call will increase or decrease after residency, but during residency, it's roughly maybe twice a month. So right now, the part that I talked about how I am on call for five weeks in a row it's because I'm making up some time off that I took mm. this is not normal so the free time as you, as you guys hear is not normal it's a blessing I can't hear you that loudly can you hear me there we go we were we were going it was going so smoothly and then I know. you know but we're, we're making the best we're making the best of it um, let me see if there's any more questions. I'm I'm out of questions. Um, okay. Somebody said, going forward with fellowship, becoming an attending, in what direction do you plan to take your medical platform? Uh, that's a good question because I just decided <laughs> to apply for fellowship like a month ago. Somebody says, do I you... Think... Go ahead. Go ahead. Somebody says, do you know a lot about perinatology? What is that? No, because that's not that's not my specialty. That's um, pediatrics. Oh, okay. Never heard of perinatology. But we do tell them when we have preterm babies. That's about the extent that we interact with them. Mm. Someone said, "Oh, did you meet your new bae? Who is that?" <laughs> did I? <laughs> At some point, yes. <laughs> Let's see. Did we leave any questions on here? Mm, what direction do I plan on taking my medical platform? I'm not sure. Oh, Maybe yeah. Maybe in a year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Once you get into fellowships, you'll know. Yeah, let me get in first. <laughs> 
I said, how much do you think your MCAT influences your application for medical schools? Uh, I think it does. I think if you're a minority, uh, programs are looking to fill those spots. So take advantage of that and look for programs, look for the average MCAT score in those medical schools. That way you're applying to places that you're more likely to get into. Definitely apply to reach programs. Um, definitely apply early. Don't do what I did. Apply as soon as the application comes out. Don't be scared. Um, and then build your CV. It can't just be your MCAT. You have to be able to communicate with people, work as a team, show that you're passionate about something. Mm -hmm. Um, and all that goes on your CV. And then last question we're going to take, and then we're going to have Abby come on, is uh, okay. what, su any suggestion for low GPA students? Mm. So if they are, what I don't know what year you are, but um, you may need to consider changing your major if you're still in undergrad to something that's um, more reasonable so you could do maybe nutrition or human development you have to play the game and try and get your GPA up if you're still in college um, if you're towards the end I definitely suggest maybe retaking the courses that you didn't do well in and showing that okay now I've kind of mastered the material I did that for one of my classes um, that I got a D in it was biology and then I retook it and got a B so I think sometimes that's helpful and then I entered every MPH every master's in public health course into my GPA when I was applying for medical school um and then anything that has anything to do with science, even if it's nutrition, uh, social science, it has the word science in it. So just drop that into your application. <laughs> it's so funny. I can bring it up. Yeah, it's funny because I remember putting in those specifically and it calculates it for you and it shows yeah. your GPA. So like, yeah. yeah, all those actually definitely helps. Those are, that's a great advice, actually. All right. And then you might have to do a, a post-back post program. Oh, yeah, definitely. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. Post-back. A lot of people do post-back, um, and that allows them to, you know, build, you know, especially if the place you do a post-back also has, like, a medical school with it, too. Mm -hmm. is a, is also attractive that you've already showed a capability to work within, you know, med school type um, curriculum and things like that. All right. So that's all the questions that we will be giving Dr. Tosin today. Um, I, we thank you for coming on here and sharing your journey with us. And hopefully in the future, as you move forward into fellowship and do more mentoring, we'll be able to have you back on Pipelines Through the Grand. Thank you. Alrighty. Thank you for having me. For sure, for sure. Have Bye, everybody. Me. You too. Right. All right, that's another wonderful session. Although, you know, the connection, um, yeah, she is awesome. She She's, you know, amazing. Um, aside from the connection, we did the best we could to get some of this. Um, let me see. Somebody's asking me, do I regret going to you even, even as being the best school in the Caribbean, landing a surgical residency is impossible no, people ran a, people land a surgical residency, but as far as like orthopedic surgery goes, you know, you know, you don't really have that many people just getting it off the bat like that. Um, we've we've had people match into Canada, and there have been people who've gone many years of doing, you know, research and things like that that eventually got into um, orthopedics. So, you know, it's just one of those things where like if it's dermatology. Um, you know, urology, things like that. It's very, very difficult to get it on your first ballot of try, but it's never impossible. Um, no, I don't regret going to SU because the journey out there wasn't 
specifically just to enable me to become a, a surgical resident. I felt like overall going out there taught me a lot of things, discipline. I was out there able to build myself and isolate myself and do a lot of things whereby at that age, if I was here and I was distracted, you know, I may not be able to optimize myself the way I've done so far. You know, so it, it depends. I can reflect, you know, hindsight is 2020. It's always easy to say perhaps it would have been easier if I was patient, you know, try one more time to stay in the States. But, you know, I don't know what the difference would be, you know. Um, yeah, orthopedics is one, you know, which is what I'm interested in. So, yeah, definitely, if you know you're interested in that, there's certain things that you will have to do, um, such as make sure you get research. But let's go ahead and add Abby. I think she's here. And then let's get her going. So, Abby, I went to college with Abby, University of Houston, go Cougs. Um, she's, um, first year, look at her. She just got off work. She never knows. She never, she never knows she was behind. I forgot that we were now behind in St. Louis and I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I'm here. She's going to be here in New York on Friday. Enjoying. I am. I'm excited to hug your body. Yeah. I'm excited to see everyone and see my friends. Wonderful. Wonderful. So let's get to the point. Abby. So tell mm-hmm. us briefly about yourself. Okay, so my name is Abby. I am a pediatric dental resident at St. Louis University. Um, born and raised in Nigeria, Elisha to be exact. No one ever knows where that is, but it does exist. And then um, we moved to Maryland, and I did high school there. And I went to University of Maryland Eastern Shore for two years. Then I transferred to Houston University of Houston and did my last two years of undergrad there and I went to Baylor College of Dentistry in Dallas for dental school and now I'm in my residency program in St. Louis. Beautiful, beautiful. (laughs) I would would take time and tell you guys how I met Abby in undergrad but we leave that on uh, on our personal conversation. So why did you choose dentistry? You know, the funny part is, like, my entire life up until, I think, junior year of junior year of college, I was doing medicine. I did research for the NIH um, for three years. My plan was to go to med school and be a doctor. And, um, I mean, I am a doctor now also, but be a physician in that way. But I also love volunteering. So I applied for uh, like an internship type situation at the homeless um, homeless medicine clinic in um, Houston, but they didn't have an opening. So they kind of referred me to the dental clinic. And that's where I got actually like full exposure to dentistry. Now, background wise, I've always been in love with teeth. Um, My sister had like a major accident when she was eight and she broke her two front teeth and just seeing the transition and how her personality changed being like not being able to smile not being as you know optimistic or as um open as she used to be i mean for eight year old that's traumatic and when we got to the united states we had access to getting it fixed and she had two crowns placed on her two front teeth and having that like instant change in her personality was like the first thing that kind of drug me towards um dentistry but I never thought about pursuing it till I worked in this homeless dental clinic and I really saw the impact that having a smile does to someone and, ch- and how it changes their lives and I was like this is what I want to do <laughs> I want to make it, people smile every day wonderful wonderful yeah. yeah you definitely made me smile a lot of times in my uh, <laughs> uh, uh, go through um, so what are some hardships did you face um you know I think everyone's medicine, dental, higher education journey is almost the same. It rings the same bell, like taking exams, taking your board exams. You know, um, I had to take the DAT, which is the dental equivalent for the MCAT. And me being the kind of person that I am, I, you know, I've always been good at books. So I studied very minimally for it. So my first shot at the DAT was the first blow to my ego to like, wow, (laughs) Jesus Christ. I have to do a little bit better. So that was like a really rough situation for me because I've always been an A student. I've always been good at school and seeing my grades not reflect that, seeing my results not reflect that was like 
soul crushing because I was like, maybe I'm not meant to do this. But then, you know, through the encouragement of people like you, my siblings, I kind of went MIA. I'm not sure if you remember this. I went MIA for like a month and a half during the summer um, after that happened. I lost myself and I didn't replace it. And I just studied. I went ham. I was in the, in the library eight to eight every day. I had a schedule. I had a regiment. And then I took the exam again. And things, you know, my score increased drastically. And, you know, I was able to get the score that I needed to get into dental school. But, you know, I think you'll agree with this. Undergrad is something. You know, you think you're studying and you're in the library. Let me you know, pause for a second. I was about yeah. to say something because I went for you to finish. <laughs> So when Abby's talking about studying, you don't stu- you don't just you don't just study with Abby. We we try this, you know, back in undergrad. She reads once. So here's what she does: she records the lecture. You know, maybe she'll take notes at the like she record and she reads. She'll look at it once, and then she take the exam. So some people have to revise more and more. So I'm sure that was a challenge when she came into dental school that she had to do more than just that alone. One hundred and ten percent. It was. I, I kind of want to equivalent it to like a culture shock whenever I got to dental school and the, how rigorous it was. Because like your first two years of dental school is the educational portion, and the last two years they want you start seeing patients. So we like I came in thinking I was going to be able to study the way I used to study, and absolutely not. You have to have a routine. I remember. Altogether, we counted, Esther and I counted our, how many exams we would be taking in our first year, and it was 170. And I was like, <laughs> how are we supposed to do this? Like, there were situations where you would have, like, 12 exams in a week. You know, you go through sequences where you're not sleeping. And I, I, like, I was making the grades, but mentally, this was the first time I was mentally being affected by the physical things that I was putting my body through. And I remember calling my brother, and he was like, Abby, you know what? Whether you graduate with a C or whether you graduate with an A, you're still going to be a doctor. You're going to have a DDS after your name. Now, you have to make the decision as to whether you want this to affect you mentally. You know, you have to make the decision as to how you want to emerge on the other side of this. Do you want to be yourself or do you want to be someone that's beaten down? So I started not being hard on myself. I was like, I'm going to give myself breaks. So every Friday afternoon after school was over, I was not a dental student. I was just a regular old person watching Netflix. I would go out. I would not, even if I had an exam on Monday, I would not think about school. So, you know, I had to learn to readjust in that, in that way. And, you know, the same thing is applied to now when I'm in um, this residency program. I want to say 85% of my patients are medically compromised. This is something that I've never had to deal with before, not on this level. And then also, you know, having the issue of being on call and being on call every three weeks for like the whole year. I've never done that before, having to wake up in the middle of the night. And because we're not in-house, dental is not in-house on call. I live, you're allowed to go home because there are not that many dental emergencies. At least you think that there isn't until you actually are on call and you realize you're you're getting called in at least once a week because someone broke their face and you have to come put it back together. You have to come put their teeth back together, put their mouth back together. So having to deal with that situation has been hard also being here in St. Louis. So like with each stage, it's been like a different hardship. It's been like a different way of adjusting. But one thing I know is if you've made it this far, even if you made it past undergrad and you're applying for med school, if you made our dental school, if you made it past medical school and you're in your residency, you're a great student. You've learned how to adjust. It's about figuring out how to adjust to the new hardship that's being presented to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's let's delve in a little bit. You know, a lot of people don't know there's residency in dentistry. So what specifically <laughs> so what specifically is your focus in your residency? Are you trying to become an oral surgeon or what? There are so many, like, people, it's really funny, because um, even my, my dad my, my dad would be like, ah, when you're dead, you can come clean my teeth. And I'm like, I don't even clean teeth. What are you talking about, fam? <laughs> like, that's not what I do. Um, there are lots of specialties when it comes to, uh, when it comes to med- um, dental, same as you would have with the medicine. So I'm a pediatric dentist. That means I focus on baby teeth, on kids' teeth. And I know people are like, it's just kids' teeth. Why do you need to work on it? Because at the end of the day, there's a nerve. Your tooth is a house for a nerve. If you have any type of infection, 
any type of cavity on it, you're constantly stimulating that nerves and causing damage and causing pain. Now, if you've ever had any type of oral pain, you understand it's not anything you want a child to go through. So I right now, my specific focus are on um, medically compromised kids. So we, we, I'm in the... I'm in the um, the operating room at Carter Glennon Children's um, Medical Center at least three times a week, and we take our kids in who kids who need like full mouth dental restorations, kids who are medically compromised, kids who can't live in a regular dental setting, and we take them to the OR under general sedation, and we do all their work. So, you know, the thing about dentistry is it's one of the few. Um, things when it comes to the human body where they expect you to be able to do everything under local anesthetics, you know, especially on kids. Like if a ENT has to place ear tubes, they put the kid under, you know, if you have to, but with the dentistry, they expect you to be able to not only like um, have patient cooperation because you expect kids to like, as an adult getting shots, it's hard. Now as a kid, imagine they expect you to be able to have the kids sit down quietly in your chair while you stick a needle in their mouth yeah. and then also drill on their tube exactly. <laughs> right on top of a nerve and be okay with it, you know, yeah. so. <laughs> I, went to the, I went to the dentist on Monday and based on my jaw anatomy, they had to pull, they had to stick the needle in to do that alveolar block three times. Exactly. Three times. I swear that needle went all the way right here. So you can only imagine, yep. you know, how. <laughs> How 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 fearful a child is gonna be? So that's definitely gonna be a a, a a tough situation. Yeah. So I'm just um because of the fact that I I do want to be able to fully be capable to treat medically compromised kids in the future. I want to have access to a children's center like Cardinal Glennon. That's why I'm going through this program because they need it the most. You know, a lot of um, general dentists bless their soul, don't want to deal with the stress mm -hmm. of having that type of patient population. Mm -hmm. But like I said, it's a need out there and I'm, I'm ready for it. That's why I'm working towards this. Wonderful. So next question, what did you sacrifice to become a dentist? See, I don't like, you know me, I'm a incredibly, I'm an optimistic person. I see, I only ever see the bright side of things. Um, I don't necessarily uh, consider it sacrifices. I think of it more as um, necessities to achieve my dream. You know, we all have to do something. We all have to give and take to get to where we want to go to. And at the end of the day, that's not a sacrifice to me. That's me working towards my goal. Now, you know, any person going through the educational process will kind of um, resonate with this the sacrifice sacrifices include you know losing friendships true you know i've i've lost a lot of friends along the way because i have not been there for them in the way that they expected me to be as a friend because i could not physically mentally emotionally or spiritually be there for them because i was going through my my struggles mm -hmm. you know um i have I think I've I've taken a different path in life. You know, being a Nigerian woman, um, the the first thing my, my parents think about, especially my mom, is, so oh, when are you getting married? Who are you dating? You know, I've definitely I myself I have put my you know relationship on the back, relationship situations on the back end of things on the back corner and focus more on my education because for me the way I see it is like I'm I'm paying for this I'm paying for my future I don't need any distractions absolutely until I'm ready for it you know. Now, of course, I am in a relationship now, but it took me a while to get here. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it took me a while. To, it took me a while to get here. You know, like I, I've always been really practical about what I am capable of doing, what I'm not capable of doing. I know, I knew for quite a long time that I wasn't capable of being in a relationship, a full term relationship, and also being like the student that I wanted to be. So. I put that to the side, you know, like having experiences with my best friends. They're always like, let's travel to here. Let's travel to here. All my friends are glamorous for some reason. I don't know why. They're always going somewhere extravagant. And I'm always like, you know, I'll catch up with you on, on Instagram, you know. Exactly. I will Instagram stalk you and see what fun you're having in Bali. Mm -hmm. And, you know, situations like that, you know. Yeah. So how did you, you know, through the journey, keep yourself motivated? And still motivated. How did I, um, 
how did I keep myself motivated? I think for the longest time, I didn't even have to do it by myself. I, I surrounded my God. Is, actually, I don't want to say I surrounded myself. God has provided me with such an amazing support system. You know, me, you, and Esther, we have our group chat where we constantly encourage each other. So I don't even have to keep myself motivated, honestly. I have people pushing me up all along the way. My siblings are very, very good at that. Like, my brother, when I started dental school, literally gave me his credit card. And he was like, if you need anything, you don't have to worry about going to work. If you need anything, here's my, here's my credit card. Just use it, you know? Like, not having to stress about money in that way. And then having friends who randomly text me out the blue. Clarice would text me, how are you doing? You know? they like And just... Having them understand when I say it's hard and then their response not being like, you know, you, why do you have to study so hard? It's always them being, you're doing it for a reason. There's a purpose that you are made for and you are working towards it, Abby, and don't give up. You know, that kind of support system is crucial to where I am today. And let me, let me just add a little bit. You know, we have a, we have a, we have a group, a, a mini group chat called Torture Breaks. <laughs> So torture breaks, and you know, you know, she's saying how much has been influential to them. But there's been a lot of financial moments that um, these two wonderful ladies that have supported me, um, especially along the way and stuff like that. So you know, it it it, 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 it highlights the point that you know you need a, a close knit group that will always understand to go through and will be right there. It's 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 it pushes you because like it takes a day in this journey. To really, really start going downhill, you know. But when you're right there and you, and, and you find an extra push, you can sleep knowing that tomorrow is going to be better. So, um, just as you heard from Abby, and she's very enthusiastic about everything. So, so for the viewers who are watching, you know, what advice do you have for those who are trying to pursue something, who has a passion towards something, trying to get a medical school, trying to get a dental school, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera? Yeah. Um, I think, um, the last interviewer interview you had, Tosin said it best when it's like, first of all, have a mentor and whatever you're doing, be it starting your own business, be it applying for higher education, the roadblocks, I'm sorry, the building blocks have been set along the way for you by people who have been through that path before you. There's absolutely no way to do this without having a mentor, without True. having someone to guide you through. True there's no way to do it secondly being like take, take for example for me if i was never introduced into the arena of dentistry i would have never fought, like known this was my calling so my biggest advice is for people who are going through whatever path shadow whoever you know that is involved in that situation so shadow if you want to be an orthopedic surgeon shadow orthopedic surgeons and actually be involved ask questions and see if this is what you want to do like there's no way for you to know if this is the path that you want to go through even if before you even go through the medical school journey like while you're an undergrad get involved in what you think is meant for you to see if you actually have a love for it i know a significant amount of people who like did who did like medical missionary or like shadowed um someone in the in the medical field and they were like i don't think this is for me you know like my sister dropped out of medical school after the first year of medical school and and it's because of the fact that she you know she was going along this path because as nigerians you know we're forced to go down the path of medicine or engineering or accounting or something like that she never made the decision for herself so actually understand the fact that this decision about your life that you're making about your future needs to be made by you and not by the people around you. So find a way to figure out whether you're in love with what you're, you're going to be in love with the situation you're going through because without passion, man, <laughs> all this hard work will literally be held. The only thing that gets me through each day is like, I love my patients. Like I am absolutely in love with what I do. And even if I wasn't making a lot of money, I would still be happy. You know, like I have that joy. God has provided me the joy in this profession. And I thank God for that because I don't have to go into work and be like, oh, gosh, I'm here another day. Another screaming kid. Like you have to have a certain type of like tenacity to deal with 30 screaming kids every day, day in and day out. It, it, it weighs you down. But because I have a love for this, because 
I pursued it in a way and I did my due diligence in researching whether this was for me. You know, I'm happy. So we got a minute left on right now. So I'm going to do and you're going great. You're going great. I'm going to end it. I'm going to restart it. And I want you guys to come back. I'm going to add Abby again. We're going to finish the rest of the questions and we're going to ask answer that question that she has down there. All right. All right. I wish IG Live allowed us to just, you know, keep this thing going for as long as possible. But we're almost done with this session. All right. Getting Abby back on here. Let's see. You remember the question that she asked? Um, about shadowing, how, how to get shadowing experience? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the first and easiest thing you can do is you have to figure out if you want to shadow in the public sector or in the private sector. You know, private sector is always a little bit easier. Like if you want to shadow, shadow like a private physician who has their own office or if you want to go to, um, that way you can just contact the office directly and you can go see them. Now through hospitals, it's a little bit different. You actually have to like get in contact with like the HR department of the hospital and they usually have their own paperwork that you have to fill out before you can shadow. And sometimes uh, if you know a doctor that works at the hospital, it's easier for you to get a shadowed experience. Now, the other way you can do is you can, you can go through the public sector and go to like public health clinics and do shadowing through there. Same, most of the situations with, with that is also it's the same. It's about getting... And there's always some type of office manager that you can contact and just shoot them an email and just tell them I'm interested in this profession. I was wondering if I could come in and shadow one of your doctors. Even if you want to reach out to the doctors directly, most of them won't have an issue with uh, with you shadowing them because they had to do the same thing. And I hope hopefully she heard the response. I know. So she's saying that she said, if you want to get shadowing experience, there's many different avenues to go about it. One is um, if you want to do it at a hospital, you have to contact the human resources because they have certain things that you have to clear before you even approve to come in um, and shadow or you can shadow a private um, um, physician or private dentist and things like that um, on a personal level. So, Abby, next question is, uh, what was your toughest period so far in your journey? Um, I think the toughest period so far was um, my very last year of dental school was incredibly hard. So, dentistry is also <laughs> one of the few professions where you actually have to do live patient exams. So, the procedures that I would do in a clinic, I would have to do, in fr- like, like during my exam, after like this is outside of taking boards part one and part two. This is outside of taking. Uh, this is a part of your licensing exam. There's two parts. There's a written part and there's a live patient one. So you have to not only find your own patients who have the criteria for. Let's just say you have to do a filling. There's a specific criteria that the filling has to fill. It can't be too big. Can't be too small. This person can't have this. Can't have that. Medical history also has to be. Um, up to par. So you have to find a patient that fits that. And then for me, I was, because t- I'm from Maryland originally, I wanted to be able to work in Maryland. So I had to take an out of state, out of Texas um, licensing exam. So me, my patients, my assistants, and all my equipment had to travel to Tennessee from Texas three different times to take exams. So that was a really, really rough session in my life because outside of doing that, I was also studying for boards. And also applying for residency and doing interview. So, as you like, you know, it's one it's one thing to have one hardship being thrown at you, but it just felt like it was coming from left and right, left and right, left and right, and I was actually drained. I was so drained to a point where like my body physically shut down. You know, I'm I'm a, I'm I'm a relatively small person, but. I think I lost I lost a good five pounds, which is something that I can't afford to lose. I only went one hundred ten pounds, so I went down to one oh five, and I was just like, I, I, you know, like that sequence was so hard for me. But thankfully, God helped me through it as usual, like He always does. Like I never know how the other end is gonna be, but I always just know, like if I just put my faith in Him, continue to rely on the foundation that I've built in Christ, I'll be fine. (laughs) Amen. Amen. So yeah. 
aside from dentistry, what else do you mm-hmm. do? Okay, so I know Anthony didn't want to talk about how we met, but he knows this about me. This is going to sound the most basic, cheesy, cliche answer, but I am a reader. I actually have a bookshelf <laughs> filled with books. I read in every situation. And about, about um, what was it, two years ago, I... You know, I realized that, like, I don't read a lot of Nigerian authors. Somebody asked me, like, who's your favorite Nigerian um, author? And I was like, I don't I don't know. I spent so much time reading the books that have been, like, the American, author, the American authors have written. You know, the 1984s, the George Orwells, the Huck Finns, you know, the classics. Even, like, black literary, art, literary um, artists I, I read, but I never read African or foreign authors. So I made a pact with myself, you know, for the next, you know, five years all I was going to read were foreign authors so I've been building that up you know I've read like Yag Yasi I've read every single one of um, Chimamanda's book I'm reading um, this book right now which you guys should obviously go get and support because she's one of my she's a fellow Yoruba sister you know I'm sure you guys have heard about it it's a three it's like the Harry Potter of <laughs> Nigeria children of blood um, of blood and bone this is what I'm reading right now so I've just literally it's like my, it's my things to do now. I read African authors. I go to Barnes and Nobles and I sit there and I find as many African authors as I, as I can find. And I just try and read as much. And so whenever someone asks me that question again, who is your favorite Nigerian author? Who is your favorite um, African author or foreign author altogether? I'll have a response for them and I won't be like, I don't know. So, so yeah. bef- before I became, you know, culturally expanded from Dallas, Texas. <laughs> I was at U of H, you know, acting like I was thrilled. And I saw somebody under the tree with some stockings. She was wearing these <laughs> black stockings long with a skirt, you know, under the tree reading a book. I'm just like, what's this girl doing? I thought it, I thought it was only squirrels, you know, sitting under the tree. But she was there playing with squirrels and reading. I'm just playing. The squirrel part is extra. But, yeah, that's how she was. That's how I married. And we just started having a conversation from there. And long story short, you know, look at where we at. Um, successful or as we can say doing successful things Um, so anyway that's all the questions I have for you Abby do you have any other things Mm -hmm. you want to you know share with the viewers um nothing much but you know like 2017 I keep telling myself 2018 won't let me rest won't let my family rest (laughs) you know one thing this new year as brought into light is the fact that you are going to be hit left and right by situations that you don't even expect like you just be like what the fudge like devil where did you been you've been waiting for this moment to come and you finally dropped it so i want to say the only reason that i'm able to like wake up each day and go into work outside of like you know the love that i have for it and not be mentally drained is I keep harping on Christ and people are going to be like this isn't like a this isn't a church fellowship or anything like that but I'm telling you if my foundation and my joy wasn't built on God I don't know where I would be this month in 2018 like when I tell you the the devil came in and literally ripped my happiness out and ran away with it I was like, God, what is going on? But the foundation of joy, you know, your joy is everlasting. Happiness is fleeting. This is so like, you can be happy in one moment and not be happy in That's the other true. moment. But your true joy, That's true. like my true joy is rooted in Christ. And I will continue to harp on that. You need some type of spiritual grounding. Yeah. Okay, so the name of mm-hmm. the book that I'm reading is Children of Blood and Bone by Tommy Adeyemi. So it's children of blood and bone. Children um, if you're one of those people that doesn't like to read about, if you didn't read Harry Potter, you don't want to read about witches and stuff like that. I mean, I, you know, this may not be for you, but I think I think it's a good read. I think it's a good read and doesn't you know have any impact on me when it comes to you know like my belief. But I think it's a good read and it's, it's good to support also. All right. Yeah. So that'll do it for this session on um, Pipelines Through the Gram. Abby, I appreciate you wanting to come in no the interview. No problem. Sharing a lot of knowledge. Um, um, I'm going to look forward in the future to, you know, see what you 
continue to do. And I'm sure with anything that you come across to do, um, there's nothing less of greatness. Um, so we're going to look forward to having you in the future on Pipelines Through the Grand. Just off of note. Of course, and I will see you on Friday. Absolutely. Saturday, actually. I'll see you on Friday. On Saturday. Um, wonderful. Yeah, I mean, you're going to be, exactly. I'm going to see you this weekend. So we're going to turn up. We're going to turn up. All right, Abby, yeah. I'm going to let you rest up and uh, see you later then. Thanks for having me. For sure. All right, just to close, um, appreciate you guys tuning in and hearing these refreshing stories. Um, I hopefully, every time we have these sessions, somebody's taking something away from it. Um, I am using this to build a podcast, so when the, when it comes out, I want you guys to support it and so that other people who are not experiencing this connection through Instagram can get the connection through while they're in their car. Um, you know, like we say, you have to have a reason why you do what you do and there has to be a purpose behind it. It's always important to do purposeful things because it's easy to just live. You know, we all can just decide to live. But when you find something that is a purpose and a why, you have to continuously feed that why because it changes you. It actually makes you ask questions about yourself and it, it becomes the ruler of your life because anytime you don't have a ruler, you can't really measure yourself properly. So, Whatever it is, it's a purpose. Whatever it is, if, it, if you need to work out, if you need to be reading books, you need things that's going to sharpen you. You need to be, remain creative, you know. Um, just like Tosin shared, when she went through her circumstance, she, you know, she would design new goals, smaller goals. Um, you know, as for me, let me share with you guys a little something. Um, you know, when I didn't match in, in March, um, I, was, I was depressed for about like a week and a half, a week and a half. You know, I was down. I didn't really want to sh- express that, you know, but, you know, I, it, 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 I, it was, deli- it was, you know, I was in a state of delirium a little bit because it was just kind of like, like, what's going on now? Like, you know, you don't know, you know, where to go. It seemed like your foundation is all shooken up. But what did I tell myself? I told myself I cannot come and kill myself. You know, I just had to, you know, convert that moment into something else. Um, Picked up new, you know, new, 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 new things to do. You know, I'll leave my place and go do other things and, you know, try to bring some joy, try to create the joy. Um, because once you get your mindset focusing on the positives, things will start to move again. You know, um, the world does not end and it certainly does not end at a no. Whenever you get a no in your life, it certainly doesn't end. I'm not trying to preach right now. It goes, but I'm just letting you know, it's a long year. Um, it's possible. Um, things could still happen for you. You just got to make a decision. And once you make that decision and you decide that your best, your next foot forward is going to be your best foot forward, then many things will start going on in your life. And, you know, regardless of your negatives that you have in your life, the positives will start to propel you forward. So appreciate you guys tuning in on Pipelines Through the Gram. Keep on supporting. Keep on, you know what I'm saying, praying. And keep on, you know, bringing that great vibe into the world in. We're all going to make it together. God bless.